if we do not let the Spirit of God guide us and form us as parents, we're not going to be able to help our children allow the Spirit of God to do a work in their life. Put it a little bit of a, another way, if we're expecting our, our children to be discipled in the ways of Jesus but not raised up in the ways of Jesus, well, that's something we can aim for, but we're probably not going to witness. God's called parents to raise their children in the ways of Him, to train up a child in the way that they would go so that when they're old, it doesn't depart from them. And that's something many times I think we forget to hold that. Are we letting the Spirit of God form us as individuals, as parents if we're parents, as mentors if we're parents? And as that's taking place, are we then multiplying that to our kids? Because if we're not forming and raising our children up in the ways of Christ, we, we might as well assume that the world is, right? The, the world is going to be doing the discipling of our children if we are not. There's a lot of time in, in a day for a kid to be raised up in the ways of the world, right? In the school system, around friends, on the sports team. As, as kids grow into adults, as adults interact with others, if, if a parent in their 50s, 60s isn't modeling the Christian life at that age to their kids, they're, they're going to see that, they're going to notice that. And so we as parents have a great task, a good task, a joyful task, but an important task in helping our children be raised up in the ways of Christ. And so I know for, for me, I grew up in a family with two godly parents fearing the Lord, first generation believers. And, and in the home around me growing up, I saw mom and dad reading the Bible. That was very normal for me. I saw mom spending time with other women, mom encouraging other women to follow after Jesus if they weren't and to continue following after Jesus if they were. And my dad, he was someone who before he followed after Christ, was running pretty hard in the ways of the world, party scene, 70s, doing all that, in a band, having a lot of fun. The Lord did a work in his heart, transformed him, and part of his ministry since that time has been speaking to other guys that are in jail, saying like, hey, this is what it looks like to follow after Jesus. Got to go to a Christian school, attended a church that preached the gospel. That's my story. Think about your environment growing up. For those who are, are still kids, think about your environment now. What does home look like? For you who've been out of the home for years, what was parenting like in your household? Maybe you had parents who sought after Christ and loved him faithfully and because of that loved you well. Or maybe you had parents who were nice but, but not believers. And because of that, maybe they, they showed you many nice ways to live, nice things. Ways that you can interact to be morally acceptable by the culture around you. Maybe that was your story. Maybe you had parents who didn't follow after the Lord and weren't nice. Maybe your parents were, were rather hard on you and they were always riding your tail. And it felt like you were living in this big looming pressure chamber where it's like, man, kid, if you're not doing what I want you to do, you are not doing okay. And if you're not doing okay... I don't like you. And, and some of us grew up with parents that were very overbearing, suppressing who maybe we, we wanted to be. Maybe we wanted to follow after the Lord. Maybe we were in a youth group, but our parents didn't approve of it. There's many different stories, right, that we can have growing up. And so as we get into a position, for those of you who are parents now, it's vital that we see what is God's word say for us as parents so that we might be able to train our kids in the way that they would go. For those who are actively parenting right now, maybe you have quite a few littles in the home. How's that going for you? I know for me, I'm the dad of two, and uh, they're both under two years old, and it's a bit chaotic right now. And I, there's many days and moments where I feel like I don't know what I'm doing yet. And you know what? That's okay so long as I'm humble before the Lord and, and humble before other people, saying like, hey, wh what do you do with this? When your kid is screaming at the top of his lungs at the table, and you're trying to have conversation with your wife. What do you do with this? we got to have that humility, right? And so there's lots of things we can see in parenting that are godly, and we can see that hopefully with other believers in the church. We can watch other believers around us encouraging their kids, challenging their kids, disciplining their kids. 
Yet also we can look at the world and, and even in our own home sometimes and see that there's many things with parenting that doesn't work, right? Overbearing doesn't work. A child-centered home doesn't work. A parent-centered home doesn't work. We can look in the world and we can see that just yelling at our children doesn't work. Intimidating our children doesn't work. Manipulating our children doesn't work. There's a lot of things that we've seen though, right? And so it's easy for us to, to practice what maybe we've experienced. But the cool thing is, as believers, the more we're in God's word, we get to be shaped to know how we might be able to raise our kids in a godly way, in a way that looks like Jesus. And so this morning, we're going to be in Psalm 78 with one another, taking out of this text three points where we can see we can have some daily duties every life, three kind of rules to live by that if we're parents, we're going to be able to help push our kids towards Christ. At the end of the day, we can't save our kids. Only Christ can do that, but we can give them an environment for their growth. And in Psalm 78, we're going to see some simple truths to see God has a plan for us to be able to do that. And so we're not going to cover all the do's and don'ts of, of being a parent. We, we can't do that in one sermon. And at the same time, there's so many ways we can parent in a godly way and still glorify him. Right? And so this morning, uh, let's pray and we'll dive in to Psalm 78 with one another. So Lord, we just thank you that we can be in here. As individuals, we, we thank you that we can be gathered and, and kind of realigning our life to who you'd call us to be from your word through your spirit's guiding in our life, God. And I pray that as we're together in this room, whether we're a child who, who's not a parent yet, that we'd be able to tune into your word and see that you would have a way for us to live as honoring of our parents. Lord, I pray for those who are maybe spiritual parents right now. Maybe they don't have kids of their own. Maybe they want kids of their own, but they're not in a position of that. Lord, I pray for them that they would be able to tune into this text and see that even as spiritual parents, people who are helping disciple, we get to apply the same principles, Lord. For those who are parents, God, of young ones, I pray that you'd give them energy and joy in this season. Though it's difficult, God, I pray that as they are seeing Psalm 78, they would be able to apply some things to their life. And Lord, for those who have raised kids and are maybe walking with kids as they're young adults or walking with kids as they're uh, 30, 40 years old, God, I pray that they would see that your word has truth for them here as well this morning. Lord, we love you. We praise you for who you are in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, go ahead and turn to Psalm 78 if you're not already there. We love Bibles out here at Anthem. Um, psalm 78 is a psalm that was written not by David, but by one of David's choir directors. And so many of the psalms are written by King David, this great king of Israel who was a man of God. Yet there's other psalms who are written by people who were around him. And so this is one of those psalms that's in the middle of a section in Psalms where it's just a long series of lament. It's, it's the people of God grieving where they are at because of their disobedience. And so this morning in Psalm 78, we're going to see Asaph kind of playing this role as a father figure in the, the life of the people of God so that they'd be able to be redirected after living in this season of wandering. And so that in mind, let's jump into the first of the three daily duties that we're going to be hitting on this morning, which is the daily duty of a parent to remember and receive God's compassion. That's our starting point. We have to be able to remember and receive God's compassion as parents. And so let's read of that starting in verse 23. We'll read through verse 29 and we'll see God's compassion for his people. In verse 23, it says, Yet he commanded the skies above and opened the doors of heaven, and he rained down on them manna to eat, and he gave them the grain of heaven. Man ate of the bread of angels. He sent them food in abundance. He caused the east wind to blow in the heavens. And by his power, he let out the south wind. He rained meat on them like dust, winged birds like the sand of the seas. He let them fall in the midst of their camp and all around their dwellings. And they ate and were well filled, for he gave them what they craved. God offers special compassion for his children. If you don't know the, the story of Israel, they spent 400 years in Egypt under the rule of the different pharaohs. They spent 400 years working as slaves for this other people group, toiling just so that the Egyptian people 
would have this dynasty in the world. And so the, the people of God are in this place of misery. They're, they're living as slaves. But God, out of grace and love and compassion, he seeks them out through the work of Moses, through the work of Abraham. Many of you know those stories from childhood where, where God takes them out of Egypt and leads them towards the promised land. But what happens? In route to the promised land, the people of God, they're, they're wandering far. They're running in disobedience. They're getting off the path over and over again for 40 years. They, they, they don't have a long journey to go distance-wise, but a very long journey to go in their surrender to God. And it's during this time where the people of God are rebelling that God continues to show them compassion. We see God's special compassion for his children here. As his people are quitting their trust in him, what's God's response? In verse 23, it says he opened the skies. What does that mean? He, he opened the skies. He brought food for them when they were in a place of need. When you're in the desert, not a lot of food, not a lot of water. What's he doing? He's providing food for them when they're in a place of need. Yes, they are rebelling, and yes, God is loving them. He's providing for them, right? And so uh, after verse 23, we see that it says it rained down manna. He gave them the grain of heaven. As I'm reading that, I'm like, okay, so it's like Panera bread. God just opens up the skies with Panera bread, just like bagels popping up here, bagels popping up there, people getting their cream cheese, they're eating, they should be satisfied, they should be saying, praise God, we got food, yet they're still grumbling. And so what does God do? He says, all right, I see you. You don't like just bread? And then he rains down meat, provides them more so that they could see that God sees them. He has this love, this special compassion for his children. They are rebelling, yes, but he's blessing them. Verse 24, it says he sent them food in abundance. God wasn't just giving them rations. He wasn't just saying, hey, here's a little bit to get by. He's saying, I'm going to give you abundance. And what does it say in verse 29? His children ate and they were well filled. What does this have to do with parenting? What does this story have to do with parenting? This story shows us God's special compassion for his children, his grace for his children, his kindness for his children. And if we're going to be parents who raise our children to know, love, and obey Jesus, or we're going to be spiritual mentors that encourage people around us to know, love, and obey Jesus, you better believe that that has to start out of an overflow of us receiving God's compassion on a daily basis because we cannot bleed that which we are not. Right? And so we have to be able to see and understand God has this special compassion for the people of Israel. And as we're looking at that, we have to see and understand we are Israel. And so every day as we're looking to parent well or lead other people well, if we're discipling them or encouraging them spiritually, it starts with this great understanding of we need God's compassion too. Because our kids, if we see sin in them, or the people that we're discipling, we see sin in them, we can't just look at them and say, oh yeah, you guys have that stuff, but here I am as a parent. We are sinners too that need this special compassion. God's compassion is the first building block of godly parenting because every parent needs God's compassion to be godly. If we long to offer God's compassion to our children every day, we got to be in his word, receiving that for ourselves, saying, yeah, Lord, I haven't been faithful. Would you forgive me? God, I've been astray. Would you forgive me? God, I've been short-tempered with my spouse. Would you forgive me? God, I've been a basket case at work because I didn't like this decision that was made. Lord, would you forgive me? We have to be centering our heart before God to receive that compassion every day, or else we're never going to be modeling that compassion for our kids. God's compassion is the first building block of godly parenting because every parent needs God's compassion to be godly. Another aspect of receiving God's compassion we can see a little later on in the text in verses 38 and 39. In verse 38 it says, yet he, that's speaking of God, being compassionate, atoned for their iniquity and did not destroy them. He restrained or held back his anger often and did not stir up all his wrath. He remembered that they were but flesh, a wind that passes and comes again. When we see God's people committing sin against him, 
It had an impact on them. It caused the Hebrew people to lose sight of God. And so when they're wandering in the wilderness here, they're going after other idols. They're going after other gods because they're wrapped up in their own sin. And when we get wrapped up in our own sin, there's distance that we sense between the Lord because we're just wanting to do what we want to do. And so here in 38 and 39, we can see that God's chosen people are very much self-seeking rather than God-seeking in this moment. They were tarnishing this covenant promise that God had made with them. And so picture a white wedding dress, all right? We can, we can picture that in our mind's eye. Picture a white wedding dress. And now think of just maybe a little kid or an adult, someone in the world just throwing dirt on that, dragging it through the mud, staining that, tearing that, ripping that. That's the sort of thing that the people of God were doing here. God, in a covenant relationship that we get to be in because of him, he invites us into this heavenly marriage, yet what do we with Israel constantly do? We tarnish this covenant that God has gifted us with. But again, what what do we see here? What's God's response? Even though they're sinning, even though they can't see God quite as clearly as they used to, in verse 39 it says, He remembered that they were but flesh. God knows the story of the garden. God knows that in Genesis 3, we went astray. God knows that we are covenant terrors. We break it constantly. And he knows that. But what's his response? Forgiveness. Atonement. He forgave them. Verse 38, it says, God, can, God restrained, rather, his anger. He held back his wrath. And rather than punishing them, He covered their punishment. That's what atonement is. Atonement is the work where punishment is being covered by someone else. And so we see here this this father, God, in the desert, caring for his children by continuing to love them, to pursue them, to provide for them, to forgive them, to atone for them, even when they've been kids of rebellion. Year after year after year in the desert, God is continuing to show them his grace God offers forgiveness and atonement for his children. And if it's God's heart of forgiveness that we receive, we as parents must hold and remember that as we try to lead those around us. We have to be able to practice that same heart posture with our children, with the people that we're challenging in the faith around us. We have to be able to have that patience, that understanding, and that forgiveness because it's that forgiveness from God that's the overflow of any good in us. Verses 42 to 55, we can see God's compassion as God's taking them out of Egypt. We see how he interacts with Egypt, a fallen people, versus Israel, his chosen people. Verse 42, it says, They, that's speaking of Israel, did not remember his power for the day when he, God, redeemed them from the foe, the foe being Egypt when he performed his signs in Egypt and his marvels in the fields of Zon, He turned their rivers to blood so that they could not drink of their streams. He sent among them the swarms of flies which devoured them and frogs which destroyed them. He gave their crops to the destroying locust and the fruit of their labor to the locust. He destroyed their vines with hail and gave their sycamores with frost. He gave over their cattle to the hail and their flocks to thunderbolts. He let loose on them his burning anger, wrath, indignation, and distress, a company of destroying angels. He made a path for his anger. He did not spare them from death, but gave their lives over to the plague. He struck down every firstborn in Egypt, the first fruits of their strength in the tents of Ham. Verse 52 talks about what God did for his people, though, the chosen people, the people of Israel. Then he led out his people like sheep. And guided them in the wilderness like a flock. He led them in safety so that they were not afraid. But the sea overwhelmed their enemies. And he brought them to his holy land, to the mountain which his right hand had won. He drove out nations before them. He apportioned them for a possession and settled the tribes of Israel in their tents. Here we see God's compassion, the special compassion for his children and the way that he leads them out of bondage into the wilderness, not just so that they would forever be in the wilderness, but so that he could lead them to the promised land, right? 
And so if we're going to be able to be parents who are stewarding our lives well as parents, as fathers and mothers, and doing that in a way that glorifies God, it's going to begin with us understanding day after day after day that we have to receive this special compassion from God. We have to understand this compassion that God is giving us, and we also have to keep the end in mind, right? God has a promised land for us as believers that we get to be a part of in the same way the people of Israel were able to be in their promised land. And so here we see God providing the people with a way to freedom. We have this daily duty to remember and receive God's compassion and to embrace the promised land that he's leading us into. And so do you walk humbly before the Lord with this understanding that any good in us, any godliness in us is a gift from him anyway and that must be our starting point going into any day as a parent. To saying, you know what, God, if you have that compassion for me, I can have that for my children. And then we can teach that to our kids as well. And so the second daily duty of a parent, going beyond just receiving and remembering this compassion, second daily duty is for us to speak God's truth and show God's glory to our children. Or if we're not parents yet, to those that we're mentoring around us. So let's read verses 1 to 8. Give ear, O my people, this is Asaph speaking, give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open up my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from our children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob, and he appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God, and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. Like Asaph with the children of God here in the psalm, we as parents, we as mentors must be ready to open up our mouth. In verse 1, he says to them, give ear, O my people, to my teaching. It's an 8th century BC way of saying like, hey, lean in and listen up, children. Like, like I have something for you. Asaph was functioning kind of as a prophet here of the Lord, communicating the truth of God to the people of God. And he's saying, give, give ear to what I'm about to say. He's saying, listen up, children, I have something for you. He says, incline your ears to the words of my mouth. Verse 2, I will open my mouth in parable. Asaph is showing Israel, the, the parents of those children in Israel, if we're going to be godly, in our own lives. If we're going to be godly parents, we have to be opening our mouths and communicating with our kids. We've got to be on speaking terms with our kids. We've got to talk to our kids. Are we talking to our kids? Are we in speaking terms with our kids? We have to be able to communicate truth. Yet how many times do we do that? We speak with our kids, but it's not something that's of the Lord. How many times do we speak with our kids and it's something that's reactive and unhelpful. How many times do we get caught in a moment where it's like, yeah, well, I said give ear, all my people, to my teaching. I told my kid, lean in. I have something for you. And it wasn't godly. How many times has it been something that was sharp, something that was belittling, something that made our kid feel small? How many times do we say or do things as a parent to just look the superior? Not in a way to show God's beautiful design for authority, but in a way to intimidate or scare so that our kid would just stinking listen to us? How many times do we raise our voice thinking that if I'm just a little bit louder, my kid will be a little bit better? And so what does Asaph communicate? Yes, he opens up his mouth, but what is he saying? In verse 4, we can see it says, We will not hide from them their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. So verses one to three, he's saying like, lean in, listen. Like, I, I want you children to be listening and listening to what? 
the end of verse 4, he says, the glorious deeds of the Lord, his might, and the wonders that he has done. When we're communicating with our kids, it's not to just open up our mouth, but it's to open up our mouth and help our children see the glory and might and deeds and work of our God. And so do we have that rhythm in our life where where we're speaking to our kids about the, the ways of the Lord? Are we modeling the glory of God to them through our speech? Uh, James talks about the tongue. Are we using our tongue to build up those who are in our home, our spouse, our children? Maybe we, we're a college student and we, we live with roommates. Are we using our tongue to encourage, to build up those who are around us? Because even though you're, you're a college student and maybe not a parent, yet someday you probably will be a college student and how you live as a college student is building how you will be as a parent. And so we have to think, what am I doing with my words? Am I opening up my mouth? We, we have to do that. Sometimes we sit back in passivity and don't. But if we are opening up our mouth, are we doing it in a way that's actually speaking truths about our God? Are we recommunicating that gospel story? Are we helping our children understand why they're being disciplined, when they're being disciplined? What are we doing with our words? Words build things up and words can tear things down. We must have words of encouragement words of redirection for our children. The coming generation isn't going to be in God if we're not helping shepherd them towards him through our words. And so in verse 5, we see that it's not just about our words, though. It's also about being an example and being a teacher. In verse 5, it says, He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children. It's not just a matter of opening up our mouth and speaking, but it's a matter of example, and it's a matter of teaching our children the ways of the Lord. It's not just about talking, hoping, waiting, watching, with this longing that our kid will someday be godly. No, it's helping them see while we're raising them what it looks like to follow after God with our words, with our modeling, and when we are teaching them. And so why do we speak and model and teach of God? Verse 6 to 8 makes that clear. It says that the next generation might know them, them being these words of truth. That the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God but keep his commandments and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. Why are we doing this? Why, why are we looking at God's word to help us understand how to be parents? Because we want to be able to help our kids follow after the Lord, right? We, we want to be able to help our kids see and understand what it means to be a Christian in our day and age. We want to help our kids to be the sort of kids in, in the school system that are shining bright as a witness in a culture that is quickly changing. And if we're faithful in doing that, many times we're going to also be able to witness God doing a work in them as adults as well. Every age and stage matters with our kids. From zero to 99, right? All of those stages matter. God has a design for each of them. And so are we seeing the beauty in what Asaph is communicating here? Where he's saying, hey, the next generation, they need to, number one, set their hope in God. And number two, they need to keep the commandments of God. As we think about the way that we live, are we doing that with our kids? Or are we doing that with the people around us that we live with? Are we helping them set their hope in God? Are we encouraging them to keep the commandments of God? Verse 8 sheds light on what the result is when we don't do that. Verse 8 talks about these fathers that had been stubborn, these fathers that had been rebellious. Many of us have experienced a stubborn or rebellious father before. Maybe some of us have been a stubborn or rebellious father before. If not, we've, we've seen this with one of our friends, or we've seen this with one of our family members, or we've seen this in some show where a dad's being stubborn, rebellious, 
not loving his family, not leading his family, not encouraging his family. We've seen mothers doing the same thing. And so this morning, as we're seeing these old words from Asaph, are we understanding that how we're speaking as a parent, how we're speaking as an individual really matters, how we're modeling our life, it matters, how we're teaching those around us, how it matters. Ephesians 5, 15 and 16 come to mind just as I was looking at this, this passage. This came to mind. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Our, our time here on earth, let's be frank, is very short. If you're 40, you're probably halfway there. Right? Even in the, the call to worship that we did this morning from Psalm 90. Talks about how, how the length of our days are 70 or even by reason of strength, 80. Our, our life here isn't long. And so if our life here isn't long, that means our life with our kids is even shorter. And our life with our kids while they're in our home is shorter still. And our life with our kids when they're in our home and they have cognitive ability and they understand what's going on more, shorter still. The time is short. What are we doing as parents? The time is short. What are we doing with our words, with our example for our kids? We have to live with this urgency before God of like, yeah, I'm not with you long. So for my, my boy, Woods, he's like almost two years old. It's like, I don't know how long the Lord has given him to me. But what I do know is for right now, I better be doing a good job to love him, to encourage him, to challenge him, to discipline him. I'm held accountable before the Lord for that. And it's also going to be my joy to help him see the ways of the Lord and to be able to own when I'm dropping the ball, which we will do, right? We're going to fail as parents sometimes. We're going to mess up. We're going to say the wrong thing, do the wrong thing, have a short fuse, blow up on our kid, and have to go apologize. And doesn't that make us feel like a kid when we have to do that? Yeah. But God calls us to do it because we're to have this humble compassion with our kids, knowing that, yeah, we're sinners too. And so are you making the best use of your time and your energy with your kids? Are you setting a good and godly example or a bad one? We must speak God's truth and show his glory to them. A couple diagnostic questions. Do you pray with your kids? Do you tell your kids about how we have a God who's not just a creator, but also a savior, also a friend, that he can dwell within us? Are you communicating those things to your kids? Are you enjoying your kids? Are you delighting in your kids? Are you cultivating depth in your relationships with them? Are you making memories? Are you seeing your children? Like, like are you noticing where they're at? Are you noticing when they're, they're ticked off at you? Are you noticing when, when they're just, they're at their wit's end and, and they're done with this conversation? Do you still see them there? Do you grieve with them when they're hurting? Do you have celebration with them when they're excited? How are we doing with our kids and showing God's glory to our kids in whatever sort of circumstance is going on? An older and wiser friend of mine said that one of our written goals as a family was to have fun, to have family nights. Every Friday we made a big deal about family, fun, and food. We did themes, movies, dress the part, creative memories. At the same time, we had a motto that everyone has a responsibility in this family. This isn't a copy and paste thing for you. It could be, but this is a principle that we can see. Do we have vision for our, our family? Do we have vision for our kids? Do we help them go to bed at night knowing that we really love them, that we intentionally care for them, that we don't just provide food on the table for them, but we check in on their heart, their soul. We see them. We pray with them. What are we doing with our kids? We must do the daily duty of speaking God's truth and showing his glory to them. The final daily duty that we get to do as parents, as spiritual parents of others, is a not-so-fun one, but a real one. And that's that we as parents would do the daily duty of watching out for rebellion and works of the enemy in our home, in our own heart, in our kids. Verse 9 it says, the Ephraimites, armed with the bow, turned back on the day of battle. The Ephraimites were, were part of the family of God. 
They were armed with what the Lord had provided them. But what did they do? It says they turned back on the day of battle. I think this is a picture of what happens when we start to rebel against the Lord. There's a mission in mind. There's a plan in mind. There's a vision that God has for us in mind. And we're to show up and be with Him. We're to show up and serve for Him. And then we start backpedaling. The Ephraimites, armed with the bow, turned back on the day of battle. It gets to game day. And you say, you know what? Actually, I'm just going to sit back. When we start to do that, rebellion is already happening in our heart. It's easy to turn back on the day of battle. Many families within the family of God decided to turn away where God was leading them from. Right? That's why when they were in the desert, they were complaining like, Lord, can we just go back to Egypt? We actually liked slavery because where you've brought us, we don't love so much. God says, no, like I I have a better place in mind for us. And so we have to be wary of our rebellious hearts. We've got to be on watch in our own heart, in our children's heart, so that when people are starting to walk away from the Lord, we can say something. It's too easy to let the things of the world captivate us, too easy to let the longings of our own heart overtake us. And if it's too easy for us, as you know, the, the parents, the mature ones, we better believe it can be too easy for our kids too. We are equally able to sin. Parent, child, grandparent, we all have that daily capacity. And so verse 10 says that they didn't keep God's covenant, but they refused to walk according to his law. Israel was on a path of walking away from the Lord. And here's, here's the scary thing. The, the Ephraimites didn't just decide one day, hey, let's not go to battle. Typically when there's rebellion, typically when there's works of the enemy, it's not just a moment, right? It's a slow drip. It's a quiet, slow process, a quiet, slow turning of the ship, a slow leak, a drift, a wandering, just a little compromise here, a little compromise there. It's something small, day after day after day, that someday becomes something big, and then we see it. And then we're like, where did this come from? And then we can recourse and say, yeah, actually, now that I think about it, they weren't in the word of God. Now that I think about it, I, I wasn't seeking the Lord in prayer. Now that I think about it, they, they stopped going to church a while ago. Now that I think about it, I haven't been showing any passion for the Lord. And so if I have no zeal, why would they expect to have this zeal? So many times rebellion is a drift. It's just a little like, hey, I'm going to take this day off in the faith and and hopefully it won't affect me tomorrow. And then we kind of like that on Monday and then we do that Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And we do that week after week. And you do that for a couple months and we can get pretty far into sin, can't we? It doesn't take us long to figure out that doing what we want to do is pretty fun. And then we'll just deal with the consequences later or pray and ask for forgiveness and just keep running that out in hypocrisy. The scary thing is that the people of Ephraim didn't just decide one day I'm going to do my own thing. It was a steering away. And so we have to have keen eyes over our own heart and over our household, over our church. Where are we at? How are we doing? Where are you and the Lord at right now? These have to be common questions we're asking ourselves, asking one another, asking our children. We have to be pressing in. As said at the beginning, if we're not pressing in, we might as well assume the works of darkness are, the ways of the world are. The great Puritan John Owen said, Be killing sin, or it will be killing you. Sin does not rest, and if you do not actively fight against it, it will gradually lead you away from God and entangle you in its snares. I'm going to read that again. Be killing sin, or it will be killing you. Sin does not rest, and if you do not actively fight against it, it will gradually lead you away from God and entangle you in its snares. I bet if we all spent some time right now thinking about different stories in our life, we could say, oh yeah, I've done that before, where I stopped fighting against sin, and, and then I got in a pretty scary place And then how I was speaking with other people was not godly. And what I was doing with other people was not of the Lord. So if we have that capacity, if we can think of those examples, we better believe that that can be the same for those around us, especially our kids. And so as parents, we must be as Ezekiel, the Old Testament prophet, 
who was a compassionate watchman on the wall, giving warning to the people of Israel. This will be on the screen. In Ezekiel 33, it says, So you, this is God speaking to Ezekiel. He says, So you, son of man, I've made a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. It was Ezekiel's job to be up on the wall, to be looking out. Where's the enemy? Are they coming after us? Where's the enemy? We need to be on guard, even looking within the wall. How's our people doing? Are they, are they turning to God? Are they living in obedience to God? Are they scattered? Are they gathered? Are they with one another? Are they unified? Are they split? Is there division? We got to be looking out for the enemy, and we have to be looking in our home for the works of the enemy. We got to be up on that wall, loving our families in that way. And even as kids, we got to be loving our parents by doing that same thing sometimes and saying, like, how you just spoke to me crushed me. Right? We have to be able to have that watchman eye. Israel turned back on the day of battle, and where did it lead them? Verse 17 to 22 shows us where did it lead them. Verse 17, it says, Yet they sinned still more against him, rebelling against the Most High in the desert. They tested God in their heart by demanding the food that they craved. They spoke against God, saying, Can God spread a table in the wilderness? He struck the rocks so that water gushed out and streams overflowed. Can he also give bread or provide meat for his people? Therefore, when the Lord heard, he was full of wrath. Fire was kindled against Jacob. His anger rose against Israel because they did not believe in God and did not trust his saving power. Israel turned back on the day of battle, and where did it lead them? They tested God. They spoke against him. They stopped trusting in his saving power. This morning, we also have to be reminded of this daily duty to understand that, hey, if we're going to be good and godly parents... Leading well in the home, if we're going to be good and godly roommates, encouraging those around us to follow after Christ, we have to be watchmen on the wall. We've got to be looking out in our own heart, and we've got to be looking out in the hearts of those that we're trying to love and lead and encourage. Because it's not fun to watch people fall away, is it? We've probably seen that before, right? As Christians, the longer you live your Christian life, the more you can see. Man, there's people who, who turn back. There's people who don't show up on the day of battle, and we grieve that. And because we grieve that, we have keen eyes for our family. We have keen eyes for our own hearts so that we wouldn't let these little snares become the big things that wreck our faith. As we close this morning, I'm going to read a quote from the Barna Research Group and a Family Research Council group. So it says, Kids are shaped by watching their parents. Young children are watching their parents. They're listening to their parents, and they're trying to put those two things together. The problem is they're seeing a contradiction between word and deed. The statistics are appalling. Among American parents of children under age 13, only 2% have a biblical worldview. And even among self-identified born-again Christians, the number is only 8%. Between 15 to 18 months of age is when most children start forming their worldview, explained Barna. By the age 13, it's almost completely in place. So if a biblical worldview isn't dominant, what is? More than 9 out of 10 parents of preteens have a syncretistic worldview, a grab bag of beliefs and behaviors taken from a variety of philosophies of life. Throwing a little Marxism there, a bit of Eastern mysticism there, seasoned generously with nationalism, stirring a dollop of postmodernism and garnished with secular environmentalism. And parents have concocted for their own worldview and their children's a witch's brew more poisonous than nutritious. God does not accept syncretistic worship. How are we stewarding our relationship with the Lord? How we steward our relationship with the Lord dictates how we steward the family relationship. Stewards, we are stewards of God's design for family, right? We're stewards of God's design for parenting. And if we are not growing up in the faith and having this biblical worldview that God lays out for us in Scripture, we're going to be leading out of this syncretistic place, which is just a fancy way of saying, Lead how you want to lead with whatever belief you want to speak, right? And so what, what would it be if, if our church, if we as individuals in our households 
started to live with this zeal and passion for the Lord and showing that, speaking that to our children? What if we were part of that 8% that was really fighting in a good way, showing up on the day of battle so that our kids would be able to see our glorious God in action through us? Are we taking this opportunity to show up before God on a daily basis and just remind ourselves of his compassion that we need? And are we leading out of an overflow of that? Or are we caught in this witch's brew and concoction that is leading our kids astray? And the reality is there's, there's a lot of hard things for parents to navigate, right? With culture changing, which it's always been the case, but it feels bigger right now. With culture changing, there's a lot of things to navigate. You know, what sort of school does my kid need to be in? How do I have this sort of conversation with my kid right now? Oh, oh my kid's walking through this. Uh, I never walked through that. What, what do I do with this scenario? Oh, kids are talking about this now? Like, that's new to my ears. I, I don't understand what to do with this. There's a lot of things to work through, right, with, with our own lives, let alone with our kids. And so what are we doing to really understand, okay, what's a biblical worldview and what are we doing to try to train our kids up in that? For those of you in here this morning that aren't following after the Lord, you haven't surrendered your life to Christ, you haven't kneeled before God saying, you know what, I'm, I'm done living life for me. I believe this text is, is calling you to surrender to Christ for the first time to see that we have a compassionate God, that even when his people are in a place enslaved to sin, when his people are in a place of brokenness, He's going to show up with this Panera bread and just dump it on us, His grace. And so if you're in here and you're not following after the Lord, I believe that the Lord is offering you life in Him through a relationship with Jesus. That you'd be adopted into the family of God, the, the best family we could ever be a part of. This morning, are you following after Christ? If not, consider God's called us and invited us to be part of His family. To those who are parents or someday will be parents, those who are spiritually leading others, I think this text is demanding that we assess our heart. We've got to assess our heart. We've got to look in. We've got to look within our fold. We've got to look at the flock in front of us. We've got to see how are they doing? How am I doing? What pace am I setting? Am I raising them in a way that's going to lead towards their flourishing in Christ? Where are you speaking God's truth and showing him? Are you communicating these things with your kids? And at the same time, I think it's an assessing of the heart to understand where are we falling short right now? How might we need to follow up with our kids and apologize for how we handled something? Maybe we need to have a family meeting and talk to our kids about, hey, like right now, we, we haven't really had a vision for our family, and we, we haven't really had a vision that's been focused on Christ. We, we, maybe we have had a vision, but it's been focused on us. And you know what? Today's going to be a change because we're going to focus on God's design for life. And maybe this week it's having that meeting with your kids saying, hey, we haven't really been focused on Christ. We haven't been focused on a relationship with the Lord. I haven't been focused. I haven't been showing you what it looks like to be in communion with God on a daily basis. I haven't been showing you how to be full of compassion and grace. What are the conversations that the Lord would encourage you to have? Losing your temper, failing to apologize, leaving things unsaid. And if your kids are, are too young to understand maybe the ways that you've been sinning against them, maybe it's spending some time with your spouse saying, hey, like, you live with me. What are some ways that I can grow right now so that our kids can see that I love them? What are some ways that I can love you well so that you can do your part of loving them? We've got to have that conversation. We've got to be proactive in our marriage relationship to talk through these things? What's the Spirit convicting you to change in word or deed? 
And I just want to say, too, I'm not preaching out of a place I got this all figured out. My wife and I, over the last couple of weeks, like we welcomed our newborn daughter, Wilder, into our family like three weeks ago. Uh, well, <laughs> yeah, that's why I said it. I thought we might get an applause. No, um, we don't have it figured out. And if you don't have it figured out, that's okay. But it's the, the fact is we have to be able to come before the Lord and say, you know what, God, this is difficult and I really need you right now. And we need to go to God's people who are godly and say, you know what, we are struggling with discipline or we are struggling with, with this kid who doesn't have logic yet. Like he just doesn't get that when you take this fork on the plate over and over again, it makes big scratches. And those scratches are way harder to clean up because all the food gets caught in the grooves, right? Like it's difficult. And we don't always know how to shepherd, and we don't always know how to mentor and lead our kids. No matter what stage we're in, we don't always have it figured out, and we have to walk with that humility. And so this morning, if anything, would we see at least we have a compassionate, loving God who is for us and who's given us his word and his spirit to walk through whatever like that season is for you right now as a parent or a mentor in someone's life. And so as we live our days this week, let's remember God's compassion that he has for us. Let's do what we can to be faithful in loving our kids while speaking God's truth to them, showing God's glory to them. And yeah, at the same time, would we be up on that wall watching out for the works of the enemy in our own heart and in our kids? Let's pray together this morning. Lord, we love you and praise you that you have direction for us, God, and we thank you just for the forgiveness that you offer us when, when we're in seasons of rebellion or in seasons of ignorance where we're saying and doing things that, that just aren't helpful or saying and doing things that are against your word or things that might be against our, our children or our spouse. And God, I just pray that uh, today we'd be humbled yet at the same time encouraged that you have compassion ready and waiting for us as your children God you have a special compassion for your children God and we just thank you for that today I pray that as we go in our weeks we would notice the ways that we're falling short that we'd notice the ways that we could step up that we could say yes to doing a new good thing in our home Lord we thank you for who you are in Jesus name Amen.